not often that I get a chance to actually read from my phone here, but I'm proud of that. And I, I guess I really wouldn't need even that to introduce our faith story sharer this morning. I know, I've known Tom for a number of years and appreciated him. But it says about Tom, Tom Waltz and his wife of 40 years, Dawn, have been attending Faith Church for 21 of those years. Where they've both held several volunteer roles. I'm sure you've seen both of them in that uh, status. Tom served in the high school ministry, teaches on Sunday mornings, as this morning, and is on the elder executive board and chairs the nominating committee. Tom and Dawn have two adult children, three grandsons. In his spare time, Tom enjoys writing software, hiking, reading, and doing projects around the home. I know he enjoys biking, too, because he rode his bike from his house to our nominating committee one morning here at Faith Church. That was, uh, not long. how far is that, Tom? Okay, you must enjoy that to be able to do that. Let me pray before Tom shares his story. Father, we're grateful uh, for having been able to gather this morning, uh, your followers, and to understand more about what your plan is for us as your church to follow you. Thanks for the message we've already heard that encourages us to uh, recognize our role in today's world and today's church. Give Tom wisdom as he shares his story this morning. Thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. So, faith story. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have much of a faith story. I have more of a God's faithfulness uh, story because I, uh, I have depended a lot on uh, God's goodness uh, to me and uh, not so much on my strength and wisdom, whatever. So I like this statement from 2 Timothy where Paul talks about how even if uh, we are faithless, uh, he remains faithful. He doesn't deny himself. God's commitment to us uh, is a beautiful love story, and I'm so thankful uh, for that. But anyway, uh, I'd like to share a little bit about uh, my life. How do you describe um, your life and the way God has, uh, has worked in it? Um, it's an interesting story to me, but it might not be to you, but I hope that you find some uh, commonality maybe and can relate to, to some of my experiences. Any good talk has three parts. Uh, I came up with four, so it's not a good talk, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see where it goes. Did you have a comment, Phil? Or? Okay. So I... I kind of divided this up into uh, earlier years where I was searching for belonging and community, uh, then a period of life where I think I could describe it as finding the secular and the sacred, uh, followed by a period of life where I was finding the uh, sacred and the secular. I'll explain those two maybe a little bit as you hear the story. And then uh, my current phase, um, looking at retirement, finding the eternal and the, the present. I definitely um, often think of CS or uh, Augustine's uh, statement, uh, first paragraph of the Confessions, where he speaks about how God's made us for himself and we're restless until we find rest in, in him. A uh, beautiful statement that describes my uh, search uh, in life as well. And my daughter and son-in-law just walked in, and, you know, now I'm a nervous wreck. But, <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you. How are you doing, Cal? Doing all right, Cal? 
Yeah. Good to see you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, we should just turn it over to him. Okay. So um, when I think about uh, finding my place in life, finding belonging, of course it starts with my family. Uh, we think of family as being instituted from, uh, by God uh, back in the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 uh, or 2, where God talks about how important the family community is and how a new family is established when a couple comes together and become uh, one flesh. So my family experience um, uh, was, was uh, I don't know if, if I would say typical, but it was mine, seems typical uh, to me. I'm the oldest uh, of four kids. My, um, the center picture there is, is us. The little guy there is my brother Doug, which some of you um, will remember. They attended faith for, for many years, and then we had two sisters between us, both of whom have attended faith uh, at different periods of life um, as well. My mother was a registered nurse. My father was a, a, a high school teacher, and uh, we had, had a good life. Uh, my uh, grandparents uh, from both sides, my mom on the left and my dad's parents uh, on the right, were very involved in our lives. And the other key component of life uh, in my childhood was our little church. This is a little church on the Near East Side uh, in Indianapolis, still there, uh, run by a different group now, but uh, spend a lot of time between home um, and that church. There was a, a particular attitude uh, in my family where hard work was what life uh, is all, all about. I had a lot of friends that, uh, that uh, prepared for education. You know, they went through school talking about college, university, education, so forth. My family was a little bit suspicious of education. You know, it's... It's uh, you find your place in life, you find meaning in life in, in some good hard work, uh, which proverbs like this one um, would suggest. Um, in spite of that, my, oh, wrong button. In spite of that, um, my family was pretty bookish. Um, at every meal, we would uh, have a prayer before we ate, and then we always read scripture uh, three times a day at the conclusion of the meal. And then at the evening meal, uh, my mother would uh, always have some other book that she would also read from. That might have been C.S. Lewis or some missionary biography. As, as we got older, that would even be a systematic theology that uh, mom would uh, read through with all of us. And we I don't know that we got a whole lot out of it, but she was pretty keen on us uh, being uh, educated uh, in, in that sense, uh, in God's work in the world. The other aspect of life, uh, this is pre-social media. So the radio was a big thing in life. Mom didn't think much of TV. Um, we didn't have a TV for big parts of my growing up. And when we did, sometimes she'd walk in and cut the cord when she thought we were watching something, uh, something like Bonanza that, uh, you know, or Jeopardy that was way over the edge. Um, so, you know, the fairly conservative um, upbringing. Um, with, with that kind of influence. My, my mom was always listening to some Christian broadcast uh, program 
during the day on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. The youth broadcasting would come on, and so she would turn that radio up in the kitchen as high as it would go to blast us all out of the bed so we could come and enjoy those uh, programs uh, together. My uh, grandparents were also a huge part of, of my life, especially my, my um, mother's uh, parents, Peter and Teresa Winalda. Um, he um, was all about hard work as well. He told me over and over, coming out of his depression experience, that if you were willing to work, um, you would always be able to find work, find a job. Um, I, he never told me that that job might not pay, but uh, you know I found that out later on uh, in life. But uh, very committed to that. It came from the Netherlands in 1923 with my grandmother after being married for three weeks, uh, had a fourth grade education, had worked as a farmhand and came here and uh, got jobs on the railroad, uh, raised eight kids, um, plus a lot of children lost uh, through those years and uh, never drove, rode a bike all my life. When I went to Holland recently, I realized why everybody rides bikes in the Netherlands, but um, that was grandpa. He was a bit of a character. Um, one of the, the uh, episodes I remember in life is that my grandmother was kind of a naive, trusting, very sweet uh, lady. She even thought I was a nice person. Uh, <laughs> but she would hear these broadcasters on the radio that would ask for money. And she had such a soft heart that she was always writing checks uh, to these people. And I, I have an aunt that's a bit of a controller, and she was just worried sick that grandma was sending off these money to these uh, not so reputable uh, organizations. And she would argue and argue and argue with uh, grandma to try to get her to be a little more uh, thoughtful in her giving. And finally, one day, my grandfather walked my aunt out to her car. And as they were walking along, he said, you know, Thelma, Mama writes the checks, but I mail them. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, he, so he had that kind of dry wit about him uh, uh, all his life. Uh, very special guy. Well, that was my family um, environment. I had a broader kind of family culture environment in the Dutch community that uh, existed on the near east side in Indianapolis. So I, I spent uh, many hours in my junior high and senior high um, years working on the, the farm that's pictured in that, that painting. If you go around 465 on the east side and you get to, to 74, on, where 74 crosses 465 in the southeast corner, you'll see that house. And there's, a, there's three big red barns there and a white garage. It's right next to the Marion County Fairgrounds. And that's, uh, I, I started working there in sixth grade. They were another family of Dutch um, immigrants. Um, won't mention all the things I did there, but uh, uh, mom will get in, get me in, uh, talking too. But anyway, in the later years, I was milking cows uh, twice a day, and so I would be there 4 a.m. 
milk the cows for a couple hours, go to school, come home and at 4 p.m. and milk the cows uh, again. Uh, so it was a great experience in learning responsibility. Um, I look back on that and don't believe they trusted me to do that, but uh, that, that was a great uh, learning experience. The little church there is the Dutch Christian Reform or Dutch Reform Church on the east side of Indianapolis, which was a part of my life as well. My home church, my family's church, was kind of a, a more traditional type of independent um, uh, gospel preaching church. Our pastor came out of a rescue mission in Chicago, but this, the, the, most of the Dutch community was still plugged into this more reformed uh, tradition. So I had that influence very heavily in my life as well. My mom had come from this and was still influenced by it. And so we, you know, the Sabbath, Sunday was the Sabbath, by the way. Uh, that was a very sacred day. We didn't shop on, on the Sabbath or Sunday. We didn't go to the restaurants. We, we couldn't fish on Sunday, but you could play football and, and baseball. And I, I never could figure out quite what all the rules were, but that was definitely a part of the, the tradition that I grew up in. The, the farmer that I worked for there had a huge impact in my life uh, as well. I really respected him. I learned a lot from him and felt like, wow, if you ever wanted to achieve supreme success in life, it would be being a farmer. You know, this is just awesome. And uh, he, he taught me a lot of life lessons in his kind of short, succinct way. Um, he, he had a son, same age as I. I did the farm work, and the sons played sports at the school. That's the way that worked out. Um, but he, uh, his son and I both bought cars uh, from our farm earnings in our junior and senior years. And I bought a little MGB uh, like this that uh, was uh, kind of a nightmare to maintain, but a lot of fun to drive. And I remember one summer day, um, he, his son and I, his son had some kind of American muscle car, and, you know, I was a cultured Brit. Uh, we were out. <laughs> polishing our cars, waxing them, getting them all cleaned up. And the farmer went walking by. He didn't look at us. He didn't stop, break stride at all. He just walked by and he said, thou shalt love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. <laughs> and we're looking at each other. What's he saying about this? Uh, anyway, that was the, the kind of reformed Dutch uh, tradition that I grew up uh, with as well. Well, as, I, as life progressed, I started having other influences creep uh, into life. Uh, this, was, uh, this is a psalm that's a good reminder about how the people that we um, spend time with, this, the people that, that uh, make community with us, influence our life. So the psalm reminds us that uh, when we're with people that lead us in uh, we can be with people that lead us in negative directions, and we can be with people that uh, maybe are a little bit confrontive or directive in our lives, but actually ha uh, point us in, in a more positive direction. And I certainly experienced that um, as I went through life. And the clickers, oh, there we go, there we go. 
So uh, as my community expanded, that of course included school. I went to uh, high school at Warren Central on the east uh, side. I wasn't much of a student, I will admit. I was more about my car and getting the farm work done. But I was involved in the band and, and the orchestra and uh, kind of thrived uh, in that uh, setting in life. But in high school, I began to realize that there was a little bit of tension between the, the things and the atmosphere I was growing up with, with at home and the atmosphere and the thinking and the perspectives uh, in my school. Um, you know, I would go to science class and learn that, well, you couldn't really read Genesis uh, too, too literally or, or directly. And, um, you know, I would go through and, and just hear these little things that would be questioning or, or a little bit contrary to what um, I had been taught at home. And in the midst of that, this was the early 70s, there was a few other things going on in culture um, as well that were having an impact um, in my life and thinking. Um, the Vietnam War was uh, raging, and so we were having sit-ins at our high school. You know what a sit-in is? First hour had no clue, you know, but, you know, we were wearing our tie-dye, and we had our long hair as, as guys, and... Uh, we were all about uh, bashing the establishment. My father was not too happy to hear me talking in those terms as a school teacher um, himself, but that was the environment we were in. The women's liberation movement was um, full bore. 1973, the year I graduated, was when Billie Jean King had that uh, tennis match with uh, Bobby Riggs, yeah. You know, and this was big news. You, you thought the the uh, the loon, uh, moon landing was big, but this was apparently bigger. You know, who was going to win the match, the guy or the lady? And this was just going to prove something scientifically, um, I'm sure. So this was, you know, the kind of melu and culture that uh, I was experiencing outside of my family, which is a good good bit different. Well, during that uh, period, we also had the Jesus Revolution going. Uh, have you, any of you seen the, the film? Yeah, a few, few of you. So, you know, it was interesting times. Uh, There's kind of this uh, revival going on in the hippie movement where uh, some, a, lo a lot of young people were um, beginning to have some kind of, express some kind of relationship with Jesus Christ or respect for him or salvation uh, in him. And that environment began creeping into my little church as well, um, believe it or not. We started having guitars. I mean, it was a big discussion, and, you know, it was way outside the bounds, especially at the Dutch Reformed Church, you know. But at our little community church, we started having uh, guitars, and we would have coffee houses on Saturday night and invite the neighbors uh, uh, kids uh, in and, and uh, try to share the gospel and some music uh, and that sort of thing. And that's when I started hearing about C.S. Lewis and uh, getting uh, that kind of a, a thoughtful um, perspective on how Christianity um, applied to this uh, new kind of world I was discovering outside of my family environment. Well, that was uh, a, a great... Uh, 
uh, you know, I, I had a pretty easy, good life uh, working on the farm, had my friends uh, in high school. After uh, high school, I, I can't go into the whole draft thing, I'm just going to run out of time here, but every friend that I had uh, went off to college. I can't think of one exception of, of my friends in high school that didn't go off to college the next year. My family was not too big on education, as I think I mentioned, and no one ever talked to me even about considering uh, where you might go to college or what you might study, uh, that sort of thing, other than uh, maybe a, a school counselor at some point or other. So. Uh, I woke up on the Monday morning after graduating on Friday, and my dad had a uh, part-time job as a barber at a shop in Irvington, and he ran into some guy that was in the human resource department at the factory on Washington Street in the east, uh, east side of Indianapolis, and dad had me an interview set up for Monday morning, and I went in at 8 or 9 o'clock, I don't know, but by 10.30 that morning, I was on the factory floor uh, doing some pretty menial work that was so very different than working on the farm. I found it incredibly boring. Um, and I think it was the longest work day of my life, and it only lasted five hours. So it, it, uh, it was a very uh, different in the back as compared to the front. So P.R. Mallory was a... a, a um, uh, enterprise, a business that was in electronics. They were the developers of the Duracell battery and, and several other things in uh, electronics that were pretty successful. But the factory in the back was a very different environment uh, than the offices uh, in front uh, out on Washington Street. I spent five years uh, in this factory um, after dad, dad helped me get the job and I ended up um, last uh, three and a half years or so operating three machines that uh, look like that. Made a, a pretty good living. Unlike a lot of the guys I worked with, I kept all my fingers, so I'm thankful uh, for that. But this, this was a very different work life, uh, but it was also a very different culture than I was familiar with. Um, I worked the, the, my second day for eight hours and decided uh, that I needed a car. So I went out and bought, borrowed money to buy a brand new car the, after my second day of work and uh, got a crash lesson on what it meant to pay back a loan. I didn't realize that they expected you to send money back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So that, you know, that was, uh, uh, I, I began to value, uh, see, see the value in work and saving and, and planning. But I also saw a lot of other things going on in this factory environment that began to uh, give me a very different perspective uh, on life. Uh, for one thing, this was a union environment. So I was in a, a, a trade union, and I had come from an environment where it was all about hard work. You know, you work hard, you prove yourself, you'll, you'll achieve success, and you go into a union environment where you better not work any harder than anybody else or you're going to get your tires slashed and your windshield um, knocked out. 
the politics in the union environment was totally different than the politics at my home. I didn't realize that there was people that actually thought this way um, out there. So this was a very different uh, environment, and I really got a good education here. You know, in high school, we learned how evil, how awful the Vietnam War was. I went and I was working next to guys who had sons that were in Vietnam, had a very different perspective and felt like we should be supporting um, and uh, upholding these guys, not bashing them. So, you know, very alternate, very different environment that it was uh, very healthy, I think, for me to experience. Well, it all wasn't healthy. I saw some pretty ugly things um, working uh, in this kind of environment as as well. One of the uh, underlying activities on a factory floor uh, was gambling. There was always some kind of gambling um, going on, and I saw the ugly side of that, and I would watch guys that uh, didn't make all that much money wager their whole paychecks on a basketball game or whether a bird was going to land on an electric wire. You know, it's it kind of crazy, but um, this, it, it, it began to impact me when I saw that these people, these individuals who were w working at this uh, kind of menial labor for 30 or 40 or 50 years of their life and, and looking somewhere to find some happiness and peace in it. And we would get paid on Friday. I worked evening shift. We'd get paid on Friday at, at dinner time. And just about the whole factory would empty out. Everybody head for the bar. Everybody was happy on Friday nights. It was kind of, they all came back happy, thankfully. But they'd also come back having lost their paychecks. And one extremely moving experience for me at that point was seeing a young mother holding two children, an infant and a very young uh, child, two girls, standing at the factory gate waiting for her husband to bring out the paycheck so that she could take care of the kids and knowing that the husband had lost the paycheck in a wager that week and was scooting out the factory um, out the back door. So I, you know, I saw some of the kind of ugly uh, hopelessness aspects of life uh, as well. Um, on the factory floor. I look back on this and recognize that God was using this in my life. God took all the friends that I had um, in my high school era. They, they all disappeared. God put me in an environment where I began to see my weakness. Uh, and need. And I'm uh, so thankful for that. And the clicker's out again. So um, that leads me into uh, uh, kind of a second phase of this community uh, finding belonging phase where I began to recognize how precious it, is, precious it is to be part of a Christian community and how important it is for us to uh, be upheld and encouraged um, in our Christian walk, our faith with God, through our relationship uh, with each other as believers, um, especially in a church environment. So at this point, I had a youth pastor at that little church on the east side of Indianapolis who for some reason, though I had given him grief 
uh, through all my junior and senior high years, somehow this guy decided to hang on to me and keep investing uh, in me and had hope um, for me. The little church was involved in a um, mission to uh, rural Arkansas, had supported a couple families that were serving in the schools uh, in that area, and that mission had a campground, uh, camp facility that they would use uh, in the summer uh, to, to uh, bring the, the kids from the school system in rural uh, southwest Arkansas in, and share the gospel with them. But the mission uh, went defunct, and since our church was one of the main supporters of that mission, we inherited this campground. So our church in Indianapolis started trying to run this camp that was many hours uh, away, especially by church bus ride. And so the youth uh, pastor got a hold of me. I was working in the factory at this time, and he said, look, um, I need someone that will maintain this bus and drive the bus uh, for us back and forth uh, so we can bring kids from Indiana and Illinois out to Arkansas for this camp and didn't have anything else to do so I agreed uh, to do that and I got plugged in with this <laughs> shoot it's not that sad it's a it's a good I got plugged in with this a group of believers from several churches around the, the Midwest that were investing in this camp. And these people started pouring into my life uh, during this uh, period. And I went from being the bus driver, mechanic, to being a counselor for junior high kids, to being a counselor for senior high kids, to being a co-director, to finally being a speaker um, at this camp as I went through this five or six year uh, transition and God really used that um, in my life to pull me back. Huh, to pull me back uh, to him. So found a lot of meaning and purpose in that. Well, uh, the way uh, God works in our lives is uh, interesting. I, in uh, junior high, was asked um, to pick a career. And I remember taking a test and uh, ignoring the results and uh, looking over, you know, we had a bunch of dots you'd fill in on a paper, and one of the career options was farmer. And um, I really respected this farmer I worked with, so that was my choice in uh, seventh or eighth grade. And I kind of stuck with it. I always had this idea, yeah, I'm working in the factory. I've been here, but I'm, I'm saving everything I can, and, I, and someday I'm going to farm. And, and uh, you know, that's impossible. I didn't grow up. Um, my, my parents weren't farmers. This just wasn't going to happen. Well, it just so happened that within that group of folks that were working at that camp that I got involved with in the summers, there were a couple farmers. And one of those farmers uh, was partnered up with his father, and his father wanted to retire to begin slowing down. So he said to me, you know, I don't have any kids uh, interested in farming. Would you consider maybe coming alongside and partnering with me as my dad slows down, we can bring you on. And so, I th you know, I thought, well, dream 
dream come true, and, and I loved that idea. So I began uh, dry, taking leaves of absence at the factory for three or four weeks in the spring and the, the fall, and I would go over and help with uh, the, the crops uh, during that period, began to learn uh, bigger farm grain operations rather than, than dairy. And then in 1978, uh, he, his father decided he was going to back off more, and he gave me half of his land, uh, half of his land to farm. He was going to farm half, I would farm half, and we would eventually keep that transition going. And I moved to Illinois and began farming uh, full-time. These are beautiful memories for me. That's a house I lived in, my old blue it was new at the time, blue Ford uh, pickup truck and some grain bins. Those are the fields that uh, I farmed. I'm looking across there in my wonderful John Deere tractor. Never should have sold it. I haven't convinced Dawn of that uh, yet, but, you know, still dream that maybe someday it'll fit in the garage. But uh, <laughs> it's, um, this was, uh, you know, a positive time um, in my life that uh, I enjoyed. I also learned something about my plans and dreams. I thought farming was going to be this incredibly independent, free lifestyle, and I found out that uh, you're kind of a servant of the bank that was helping you get all this done, and there were a lot of suppliers you had to depend on, and you know, it wasn't quite the free life. There was a lot of repetitive activity uh, to farming, and I'm not too big at uh, repetitive things. You know, I get bored uh, rather quickly. But, uh, you know, who, who would have ever thought I would have that opportunity? During this period, something else started to creep into my life. This is the Kidley Community Church. You might remember it in rural Illinois. I'm sure you've been by it. Uh, not... Uh, it's across from the old uh, uh, shed where they used to sell the Minneapolis Moline tractors, which, yeah, and so that was it. You know, it was at, at, the, at a crossroads uh, out in the middle of the Illinois prairie with a farmhouse on one side and this little church on the other. Well, the, this church was involved in that camp. Uh, ministry as well, and I got to be good friends with the pastor of the church who was my age. He decided to become, take on a mission, and he went to the Philippines uh, to serve, and so the church was without a pastor, and they looked around and said, well, how, what, what, you know, what are you doing? I was still living in Indianapolis at this time, and said, how about this? And just until we find some, someone to come and pastor our little congregation, how about you just come and speak once a month? And, you know, how hard could that be? So I said, okay, I'll try that. So I started driving to Illinois on Sundays uh, once a month and giving who knows what I, those poor people put up with and what I had to say. Um, but I would bring a little lesson or, or talk, and um, you know, pretty soon they said, well, how about you, we do this twice a month? And I said, well, okay, you know, I guess I can do that. Well, then when I moved to Illinois, they, how about we do this every Sunday? Wouldn't it be nice if we could have a service every Sunday? And by the way, no one's working with our kids. We need someone to work with the, the junior high and high school kids here. And, 
So pretty soon I was involved in, in all those uh, levels at this uh, little church. And um, I'm sure I was awful, but it was a great uh, growth experience uh, for me. Kept me in the Word and, and studying. One transforming moment came when one of the families in the church broke up. So the, 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 it was a couple in their 30s, late 30s, and one day the, the husband of this family showed up at my door crying, a broken man. His wife had walked out. He had two daughters. He didn't know how he was going to care for them. And he came talk to talk to this 23-year-old guy from the factory farm uh, with uh, a few uh, hours reading the Bible that spoke at his church asking for help. You know, how do I navigate? What do I, what do, I do? What's God? Where's God in this? Um, uh, what's going on in my life? And I was lost. I was petrified. I spent hours... With the guy, I, you know, I would have dinner with him, sit with him in the evening and hear his uh, sorrow, uh, do things with, with his kids. But I definitely felt out of my water, out, uh, way over my head in situations like this. And at that, this point, I came to the conclusion that if this was what I was going to be involved with, I needed to uh, get a little education which led me into the second uh, aspect of life. I'm going to have to hurry this along. But uh, this is when I ended up uh, leaving farming and heading to a little college up in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, now Grace Christian um, University. I went there a very proud individual. I went thinking I was making this huge sacrifice for the Lord, giving up my farming, and I was going to uh, train to be a pastor. Wasn't I such a wonderful Christian? I grew up in an environment where if you were serious about your faith, it probably meant you should be a pastor or a missionary. And so I had a little of that rolling around in there, you know, how special I am in, in my commitment. I also went as a very proud person thinking, you know, I really know the scriptures. I'm not sure I really need to be here. And uh, so the first couple years uh, were, was an experience where I was getting humbled. I found out, wow, there's a whole lot more of the Christian faith than I was ever aware of. There are traditions that are so rich that I was totally missing uh, in my experience. And there is a whole lot to be learned um, uh, in learning how to learn, uh, let alone uh, learning itself. So I, I came to love uh, my schooling and, and my studies and thrived in that and grew through it. Um, and this beautiful passage from, from Micah it represents some uh, scriptures that became very precious uh, to me as I began to realize that God wasn't looking for my greatness and my sacrifice. Uh, God was calling me to a humble service that he could work through uh, and use in, in spite of me. Well, in this uh, period, um, you know, I was 
breaking away from the factory and farming and, and getting this, uh, going through this six-year educational um, experience. But when they found out my background, they thought, well, we need uh, someone uh, to uh, head up student maintenance. And, you know, this guy probably got the background for that. So uh, I think the uh, second year I was there, they, they offered me a position, a uh, uh, full-time position on student maintenance. And I thought, well, this is really beneath me. I'm, I'm going to be a pastor, but I guess probably a good idea to, to have a job uh, as well. I had been working at a, at a hospital uh, in the evenings, but, uh, you know, this seemed uh, like a better uh, or ideal situation. So I took that on, and I worked with this crusty old guy named Augie. Augie had been a contractor all his life. He had helped build some of the buildings uh, on campus there. And he, in retirement, he decided that he was going to take on the maintenance, heading up the maintenance for uh, the, the school. And he had a passion about it. This was a sacred calling for him. And he was always telling me, trying to convince me that this was a sacred calling. And of course, I knew better. I knew what a sacred calling uh, was. But, uh, you know, I saw in him a, a beautiful commitment uh, to serving uh, through his work, and I should have been learning from it, and I sure look back on it and recognize uh, the beauty of it. There was a little hint of the sacred and what I thought was uh, secular in my experience there. Something wonderful happened to me when I was uh, at the, the school. Uh, this was the dean of the school. Um, I worked for him as a RA in, in the dormitory and uh, got to know him quite well, his wife Shirley, and then I got to meet his daughter, and she's really great. <laughs> and um, I uh, was over for dinner at their house one evening on my motorcycle. We, we were gearing up for the uh, upcoming school year, um, and Dawn, had her car in the repair shop and needed a ride, and I offered, and I, I you know, a great story began for me, not so great story for her. Um, but uh, after some discussions with, with uh, parents that weren't too sure about this whole thing, uh, Dawn and I were married in 1982, and it's certainly a highlight uh, of my life. I know how to partner in life and a partner um, in ministry that uh, has been a great uh, blessing. So I'm so thankful for that. So we, Dawn and I graduated in uh, 1984 and we headed off uh, to serve uh, a couple of churches. I thought this was gonna be a great sacred spiritual uh, experience, uh, which it was, but I soon found out that being a pastor of a church was, uh, had a lot of uh, just menial things that had to get done. The little church in Virginia had a hot water uh, radiator heating system, and uh, invariably uh, in, the, in the winter uh, on Saturday nights, this thing would go bust, and uh, we would have a leak, and we wouldn't have any uh, heat, and so I would be over there on Saturdays uh, trying to get the heat uh, going rather than preparing uh, for a sermon. Um, and, you know, I kind of thought, is this really what God has called me to? But I also realized that people probably need heat the next uh, morning. So 
uh, they wouldn't hear the sermon anyway if uh, it was freezing in there. Um, it was a farm. This was rural. This church was in rural Virginia. It was a farm community. Guess who had a farm background? Guess what all the farmers in the church uh, would like to have help with? Uh, you know, they were always asking Pastor Tom, you know, to come over and uh, help with this or that uh, on the farm as uh, the needs uh, arose. One day, um, one of the guys uh, needed to dehorn some Charlet uh, cattle, which pretty aggressive uh, breed of cattle, which is an experience in itself. But uh, we were clipping. I'm pretty sure a vet would have done this in a more humane way. But we had these huge things that looked like nail clippers that we were just getting these cattle in the stanchions and clipping off. And blood was going everywhere. Uh, it was just unbelievable, um, and I, you know, it was a long day. I got home. I had to go off and do some other errand. I think I had to go to the hospital or see someone or something like that. So I had just covered with blood on my clothing. I, I was in a hurry. I remember going back to the back porch of the house and throwing the laundry with the blood all over it uh, on the floor and taking off. And then Dawn comes home, she walks back there, and she sees the, all this clothing on the floor. She thought I'd been murdered um, or something. It gave her a, a scare, uh, just kind of a typical experience. Um, we, uh, our landlord in Virginia was uh, Mr. Pope. He was a Methodist, didn't have too much to do with us uh, independent uh, sorts. But Mr. Pope had a, a thriving ministry. He was a retired electrician. Sorry. <laughs> he was a retired uh, electrician, and he had this ministry, I'm going to call it, where he would go around and help, uh, especially widows in the community when they would have a problem uh, around their home. I remember one evening, uh, it was a Saturday before Easter. It was kind of sleeting out, and some lady down the road's pump had gone out. And, and rather than preparing for Easter services, <clears throat> I was helping Mr. Pope down in uh, uh, standing in a couple feet of water down in this hole, pump hole in the ground, trying to get the uh, water going for uh, this uh, widow lady. And we were driving home, and he said, uh, she doesn't have much. I just didn't have a, the, the heart to charge her uh, much. But uh, here's a dollar eighteen. That's your half. <laughs> I, I insist that, that you take it. He, you know, just the sweetest guy, um, heart of gold, and we benefited from that too. I think he was charging rent based on the 1940s uh, rate to to Don and I as well. But so much of my life as a pastor. Um, both in Virginia and Minnesota, I found, was made up of these tasks where you were just involved in the nitty-gritty details of people's life rather than this ivory tower theological study um, ideal or picture I had in mind of what it meant uh, to be a pastor. And in all of this, uh, the Lord was teaching me about the realities of life um, and ministry. So... Um, as time went on and the clicker gets weaker and weaker, I even changed the batteries before. Let's see. 
as uh, time went uh, on, um, I began to learn from passages like this in Colossians that whatever work we were doing, we were uh, doing it as a calling uh, from God and serving uh, the Lord Christ through it. And it was to the glory of God. Uh, that I began to experience in spades uh, when uh, things came to an end at uh, the Bethesda Free Church in Minneapolis. The, uh, I was there for, we were there for five years. Don carried me through that period as well. But uh, once again, the senior pastor left. He went uh, to be uh, serving a mission in uh, Bolivia. Then the student pastor left, and good old Pastor Tom was the, sen the interim senior pastor, interim youth pastor, and the Christian education uh, pastor for a whole year. I don't, I, I'm so thankful uh, to Dawn for uh, carrying me through that. I was very busy, rarely home um, in the evenings, and I was exhausted when the church finally uh, called uh, a pastor at that point, and I had been in a discipleship group with some navigators, and uh, they were, uh, one of the guys in there was uh, a kind of an entrepreneur, and he was wanted to start a car rental business, and he said, hey, while, while you're figuring out what you want to do, why don't you come and work with us uh, in the car rental business? So I went, and we, we rented these great high-quality cars from the, the uh, 1980s, uh, Chevy Cavalier, Ford Tempo, and, and so forth. People, uh, we would go to Mercedes shops uh, to give them their rental. They were really happy to, <laughs> to get their Ford Tempo to uh, replace their Mercedes or BMW. But, you know, you, you, you tried to talk it up. But, so I did this uh, for a couple years. We, we needed software. We were paying uh, a consulting company. Uh, to write software for us. We ran out of money, and uh, I looked around and said, well, I got a computer. I'd kind of been a hobby computerist uh, for a decade or so, and I said, maybe this is something I can do so we don't have to pay. Here, here I am. I, I started uh, taking some classes uh, at night school and uh, tried to learn some computer programming, and I took, a, took that over. And uh, my focus kind of sh slowly shifted from opening the office in St. Paul to maintaining the software uh, and data for the system. Um, I decided I lo loved that work and uh, started looking for uh, a full-time job in that area. found a little consulting firm in Minneapolis that, that uh, hired me, and that started uh, this 25-year 30-year uh, progression through software uh, jobs that uh, ended up with me working for a Silicon Valley uh, company. I, I began to realize uh, in the last probably 10 years of my work that the software I wrote was pretty fun and incredible. I enjoyed writing that, but I began to realize that my impact uh, in the in the lives of the people I was working with was actually more important and greater than my impact was in producing software. So this is a little snippet of uh, some of the teams I worked with in the last uh, 
10 years, uh, 15, 20 years actually, uh, or so. That's uh, my most recent uh, boss from Seattle holding our little grandson that uh, Laura's holding in the back uh, there this morning. But as, as I went through this career, I began to realize how many people in the workplace were hurting and without a shepherd and needed encouragement. People would be coming to me with the same kind of thing, problems I had people coming to me when I was working in the church. People coming to me with problems with their kids, uh, concerns about their kids, problems with their marriage, health concerns, um, asking for prayer, asking for help, just wanting a, an ear to listen to. And I began to realize that th there was this incredible sacred ministry going on um, in my workplace. Uh, I just loved uh, and, and uh, thrived in that. And I also began to realize the worldwide impact that uh, I was having through our software teams, seeing, having people come to me from around the, the country and the world. Dawn's experienced this with me go to a user's conference, have someone come up to you and say, you know, I've heard your name, I'm using your software, I'm feeding my family with this, I've built this little business based on your software, it's thriving, thank you so much. And you begin to realize the, the, the kind of impact you're having as, um, as uh, someone called by God to... Uh, have an impact, uh, a positive impact um, in our world. Well, that led up to last Wednesday. Um, Dawn's family has a habit of taking a picture when they're sending their kids off to school for the first day of the year. So Dawn, uh, I, I dressed up in my old uh, exact target. This is the company that I was part of a startup uh, with that got acquired 10 years ago. So I thought, well, I'm going to dress up in the old orange gear and go in for my last day. Dawn, Dawn uh, stood me up in the, the parking lot and, uh, and took a picture. But this whole retirement experience has just been a reminder, a huge reminder of the way that God uses us um, in the everyday activities of our life. I had the wonderful experience of my family being able to uh, join us for a little retirement um, celebration uh, up in the tower a couple of weeks ago. And my boss did the foolish thing of uh, op opening up the mic and letting people come forward. And a few people talked about the great software I wrote. You know, I was so thankful for that. Yeah. But 90% um, of what we heard were, and, uh, were, were just people coming up saying, thank you for being a positive, humble uh, presence here at the uh, Salesforce and being being there, being part of my life uh, when I needed a helping hand and, and a friendly um, ear. So I look back to that, uh, uh, look back on that here with this uh, week with a, a, a lot of great uh, gratitude. It's a reminder too that uh, life is very short and uh, it's reminded me how uh, precious you, my church family, are to me. I invested a lot uh, in my work. My kids suffered 
uh, because of my huge investment uh, in uh, my work, both in church um, and in, in software, and uh, endured with me. But I recognize something as I stand at this point in life, that is, that work family that was so important and key in my life is not the family that's going to walk with me through these uh, later days um, in my life. It's you. It's my church family, and I'm so uh, thankful and appreciative uh, of that. So I tell people I'm going to retire, and uh, especially uh, at, at work, but it's kind of typical that uh, I get reactions like this uh, when uh, people talk about retirement. Ah, that's what I've always been longing for. You know, this is going to be the best day of my life. I'm so happy that you get to sit around and, and drink root beers uh, now and, and take it easy. But this is not my concept of retirement, and, and I'm honestly scared to death uh, about this phase of life. I enjoy my work, uh, and, and I enjoy the purpose and the meaning and the order that it brings to my life. So I'm a, bit, a little bit terrified uh, uh, by this and praying that God will open up, as he's done so many other uh, times in the past, open up new avenues of service and purpose uh, in my life as Dawn and I go into this next phase. And I'm pretty sure a very important part of it is that little guy and that little guy and Eddie and Laura and, and Dawn uh, sitting back there. But um, the, th the thing that struck me as I have done a lot of reading about uh, how to prepare and thrive in retirement is that very typically, people talk about this as the final days, the end days uh, of your life. And I think from a Christian perspective, it's actually very different than that. We're in the early days of our eternal life and work um, with the Lord. And I'm so thankful to be able to have that perspective of purpose uh, and meaning and hope uh, in the Lord. This Simple verse, John 3.16, kind of brings that home. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life presently. Sometimes we think of the gospel and our salvation being primary about something that happens in the future, at death or resurrection. But the beautiful story of the gospel um, and the, the Christian faith is that it's the, the, that future, it's that heaven coming to earth, um, and we begin to experience the eternal in our life and purpose today rather than something that uh, we're waiting for. So, so thankful for that hope that we have in the Lord. So they say you should have a mission and a purpose uh, in retirement, so this is the one uh, I've tried to uh, to uh, write up. I'll share this uh, as the end. End for now, the beginning of these early days. In these early days of my eternal work as an image bearer of God, my purpose is to pursue a vibrant relationship with God that enables me to reflect the love, patience, and grace he has shown me to my family, my faith community, my neighbors in life, and the world and to use his gifts in some way to cultivate the community he has placed me in 
and the corner of creation he has entrusted me, has entrusted uh, to my care. So that's a little aspect of my story and where I uh, am today. Thank you.